0: The USHBC has a long history of working to provide blueberries to schools and children, but this summer we were a part of a special initiative to help address a very important issue in communities across our country.
1: Being able to introduce kids to fruits that they may not normally have is such a great way of starting a lifelong relationship with this great snack, this great fruit, this opportunity that kids in many communities just may not have had access to today
0: we share about the success of national blueberry month and an important partnership between ushbc and no kid hungry
2: this copyrighted podcast is presented by the us highbush blueberry council the opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views positions or policies of the ushbc The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the Business of Blueberries. Here's your host, President of the U.S. High Bush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist.
0: Welcome back to another episode of The Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. For nearly 50 years, National Blueberry Month has given us an opportunity to appreciate and amplify the simple, healthy, and delicious goodness of blueberries. As a part of our journey to make blueberries the world's favorite fruit, this past July, we were excited to celebrate grabbing a boost of blue and... Giving a boost to a good cause. It was so encouraging to see our industry engage with us on this project and the support for this new effort and the contributions our growers gave over 70,000 pounds of blueberries to this cause. That cause was No Kid Hungry. And I'm glad to be joined today by Pamela Taylor to talk about this important initiative. Pamela is the Senior Vice President and Chief Communications and Marketing Officer for Share Our Strength, where one of her responsibilities is to oversee the marketing and branding assets for the marquee campaigns No Kid Hungry and Cooking Matters. Pamela, thank you so much for joining us on The Business of Blueberries.
1: Casey, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you.
0: Well, I look forward to talking about the time uh, we got together and met, but first, let's talk about No Kid Hungry. For those who are not familiar with this campaign, this program, this cause, can you give them some background
1: Sure. So No Kid Hungry is our marquee campaign started back in 2010 with the goal of achieving our mission of ending childhood hunger in the U.S. This campaign is so unique in that it's the only campaign that solely focuses on children, particularly children from zero youngest child to those that go all the way through high school. So we're focused on young children and then those that are in school. The No Kid Hungry campaign is designed to make sure each and every child who needs access to food gets it every single day. So our focus is three meals a day, 365 days a year for every child. Schools are so critically important in serving meals to kids. And so a lot of the No Kid Hungry work is done through schools and school districts, as well as community-based organizations.
0: And what does that look like today from a, you know, maybe it's an operational standpoint or or, or essentially how is this mission then carried out?
1: Yes. Yeah, so one important distinction to make is we do not provide actual food or meals to kids. That's done, like I said, through the schools, through community-based organizations. USDA provides resources to schools so that schools can purchase the ingredients to make meals for children. But we all know there's more to putting a meal on the table for kids than just you know the resources to buy the ingredients. And this is where No Kid Hungry comes in. We help schools and school districts and community-based organizations have the necessary resources through grants to make sure all of the other equipment that's needed is available, even if it means, you know, for after-school meals or for meals over the weekend, those during the summer like we're in right now. There are so many so many other elements that go into making sure kids get access to food, and many school districts and community-based organizations don't have those resources. They don't have access to transportation or refrigeration or heaters or what other, you know equipment is needed, and that's where our grant dollars help them make sure they have everything they need to make sure kids are getting food.
0: Well, and Talk to me a little bit about. I know this is uh, what we're talking about here is food insecurity for kids, um, but our audience may not know exactly what that term means, and so maybe you can help us understand what that food insecurity looks like in America.
1: Yeah, what a great question. So, food insecurity in America looks different everywhere. The basic definition is people who do not have enough resources. Or access to get nutritious food on a daily basis. Now, how does that look? It could be for families that live in rural communities where the nearest grocery retailer is, you know, more than five miles away. Typically, people live within two to three miles of a grocery retailer. And that's a box store. So not necessarily a convenience store or a corner store, but an actual grocery retailer. So if you're living in a community where the nearest grocery retailer is, you know, more than five miles away and you have limited transportation, that could create a situation of food insecurity. So it looks like that maybe in rural communities. In some other areas of the country where we have a high number of families who work every day, who have an income, but they're making just enough money to be above the poverty line or above what would qualify them for nutrition programs such as SNAP or WIC, but they don't quite have enough to cover rent or mortgage and utilities and healthcare and transportation, oftentimes we will see adults, parents, caregivers make concessions by making sure their kids have meals, but they may not be able to have enough you know, resources to provide meals for themselves. So that's what food insecurity looks like. Then there are families that just are struggling you know, to make ends meet. And they are dependent upon the federal nutrition programs to ensure they do have access to meals. And that's what food insecurity can look like. So it's different everywhere. It's different for every community. But the bottom line is in a country as well resourced as this one, food insecurity should not happen anywhere.
0: Well, and maybe you could describe a little bit of that rise. You know, starting with how did No Kid Hungry get started? I think you've shared certainly where it kind of fits in the safety net of uh, food insecurity. But maybe talk a little bit about what was the genesis, and maybe a little bit for our audience about how it rose. I think so quickly to your point of where it became this beacon of an organization that's—I don't know if we call it specialized in a very niche part of that safety net, but. Help me understand or help our audience understand a little bit about that.
1: Sure. So let me talk just briefly about the organization Share Our Strength itself. Share Our Strength was founded in 1984 by brother and sister, Billy and Debbie Shore. And the idea of the organization really stemmed from a trip that they took to Ethiopia and saw hunger in a very different kind of way. They came back from their trip and they said, we've got to do something. So they created the organization and, you know, Billy and Debbie often talk about, you know, the two of them trying to figure out, well, what are we going to call it? You know, what is this? And Billy came up with the idea of everybody has a strength to share. And the name Share Our Strength kind of came to life for them. So the organization, you know, started with that premise. And It was really reaching out to the culinary world, the restaurant industry first. And there wasn't a campaign, so to speak, but they just started talking to chefs and they started talking to, you know, restaurant industry leaders about this issue of hunger. And they started raising money and they started, you know, doing local community events. And and it just kind of, you know, grew from there. A large partner came in and got involved, did some cause marketing, and really started to elevate hunger as an issue in the U.S. But there are many, many organizations and food banks and, and other nonprofits that are in this space and have been in this space for a very long time. What Billy and Debbie realized you know, around the, the mid-2000s is, what about kids? No one's really solely focusing on children. And that's where they started to talk about the idea of creating a campaign that would be focused specifically on kids, school age kids initially. And then No Kid Hungry was born from that. That campaign was created. And then they used all of the, the partnerships and the connections that they had made with the restaurant and chef world to go into school districts and say, what do you need? What can we do to help kids get access to three meals a day, 365 days a year? And schools were like, oh, wow, this is great. Here's what we need. Here's where you can help us. And it became the voice of the community that said to No Kid Hungry, share our strength. Here's where we need your help. The other thing, and this is the part of my world, the marketing and communications world that I love so much, the name was so simple and clear and direct. No Kid Hungry. Everybody got it. People knew exactly what it was about. They knew exactly what the mission was. They could understand it. They can embrace it. They could wrap their arms around it, and it started to galvanize Folks from everywhere. And that's how we got athletes involved, and celebrities and champions um, wanted to be a part of this movement to end childhood hunger. And so the brand continued to grow in its awareness around something very simple the name, No Kid Hungry. But I think what makes this very different is. Billy and Debbie did the work. They did the research. They got into the depths of this issue, and both of them realized this is a solvable problem. This isn't something that, you know, needs to exist. So we've got no kid hungry, and we know it's a solvable problem. Come on, folks, get on board with us, and let's do this. And and it just grew from there. Well,
0: it's remarkable. And and like you say about the name, it's almost like a call to action and a vision statement all in one it really does uh speak to what it's attempting to do as a vision as mission And really well done. Well, I want to talk a little bit about our partnership. I know you've worked with a lot of A-list celebrities and people, like you're saying, who have come alongside this program and then comes along blueberries, right? And, And we sure have enjoyed the work so far. I want to talk a little bit about that work. But before we do, I want to take a quick break here for our crop report. Many areas have wrapped up their peak season, but as you know, the Pacific Northwest is still going strong and we've got some fruit coming in from both Peru and Mexico. So here, once again, is your Blueberry Crop Report.
2: Yes, it's time for your Blueberry Crop Report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas. Today, you'll hear from Doug Kramer in Oregon. Brian Sakuma in Washington, Jason Smith in British Columbia, Luis Vegas in Peru, and Nestor Vega in Mexico. This was recorded on August 31st, 2022. This is
3: Doug Kramer reporting for Oregon. We're still picking blueberries. Certainly the volume is much lower than it's been previously. We're down to handpicking a few lates yet. Uh, most of the lates are getting to the point we're going to move the machines in soon. There's some very lates we have in both southern highbush and some rabbit eyes that are starting to pick also. So we will have fruit uh, well into September, but the volumes are going to be pretty minimal. But things are going along well. Weather is warmer than we'd like but what it's doing is moving the season along and uh, we'll probably wrap up a little earlier than normal, the way things are going. That's it for this week. Thank you.
4: This is Brian Sakuma from the beautiful state of Washington. The Eastern Washington side is well along in their season. They're in the last of the late varieties. I think they're winding down pretty rapidly now. A lot of stuff has started to go to the freeze there with some of the late varieties still making fresh. Western Washington is everywhere from finishing up Liberty, Aurora's, uh, starting in on Elliott's, Aurora's, uh, and Last Call. The weather has been fairly nice. We're supposed to be getting into the low 80s the next few days, uh, which is fairly warm for us here in the west side. we're winding down a lot of stuff is going to the freezer Uh, a little bit of fresh market going on but otherwise people are throwing their machines into their their fields and going to the process market that's the report for washington
3: so whatever doug said no i'm just kidding (laughs) this is jason smith reporting for british columbia and uh we've been uh having some pretty hot temperatures we're continuing to set uh temperature records yesterday uh you know i think it was like 33 and with the humidity like 37 38 we're expected to basically be the same today and and then a bit of a cool down going into the weekend and stuff uh, and then right now, yeah, the late's are, are starting to be harvested. Elliot's been probably picking for I don't know at least the last five days, kind of thing. Uh, Calypso, we've taken off one pick, and uh, second pick will be fairly soon here. Um, Aurora is looking like probably seven to ten days away, possibly depending on the on the location of the field and stuff. Yeah, and and volumes are not super high at this point. A lot of the a lot of guys are just starting to get into cleaning up field mode and uh, like take out any fields that they're going to be replacing and stuff like that at this point. So, and that will be my report for this week.
5: Hello, this is Luis with the crop report from Peru until the end of week 34, which is the week ending on. August twenty eight. So up until the end of week 34, Peru has already shipped a total of a hundred and seven million pounds of fresh blueberries worldwide. From this total volume, 52 uh, percent has been shipped to the U.S., 23 percent to China, 21 percent to Europe and four percent to other destinations. From the total volume shipped, 13 percent has been organics. What happened during week 34? Well, a total of 20.8 million pounds were shipped, meaning week 34 is so far the week Peru has shipped the most volume uh, this season. Uh, from the total volume ship uh, this week, 57% was sent to the US with around 11.8 million pounds, which are expected to arrive the US market during the third and fourth week of September. of the volume shipped during week 34 was shipped to Europe with 5.5 million pounds, 14% was shipped to China with 2.8 million pounds, and a reminder, 3% was shipped to other destinations including Saudi Arabia, Brazil, Canada, Colombia, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Hong Kong, India, Jordan, Malaysia, Panama, Singapore, Thailand, and Taiwan. So that's a report from Peru up until the end of week 34.
6: Thank you. Hello, I am Nestor Vega, and this is the report from Mexico. On week 34, Mexico exported a total of 78.6 thousand pounds to the United States and 81.5 thousand pounds of fresh blueberry to the world. From this volume, 1,400 pounds. Organic blueberry, what is 1.8 percent of the total? Uh, the exportation volume is la- uh, around the, the triple up from week 33 because of the low exportation volumes in, fro- in frozen Mexico, exporting 96.6 thousand pounds, which is an increase of the triple compared to the previous previous week and it represents around 4% of the U.S. import frozen on week 34 and that was the report.
0: Well, thanks so much to our busy growers and colleagues who take time to participate in these reports. As a reminder, you can go to the new USHBC website where you'll find our data and insight center to see more data of what's happening in the blueberry industry. We've added a lot more features to this dashboard, including USDA shipping price and movement, retail category performance, Nielsen monthly retail sales reports, and much, much more. So make sure you go to check that out at ushbc.org forward slash data. Well, let's go back to our featured conversation with Pamela Taylor. Pamela, I want to talk a little bit about uh, that summer period that kind of lends itself to blueberry production, but it's also an important period for no kid hungry. So why is the summer period such an important one for children?
1: Yeah. Summer is the hungriest time of the year, amazingly enough. And as you know, we've been talking throughout this conversation of how important schools are to kids, because for many children, most of their nutritional value comes from meals that they get at school every day. And when schools close, the access to meals, unfortunately, goes away for so many children. And what we at No Kid Hungry have been able to do is help communities, help kids, families and schools get that connection as if it were any other Monday through Friday during the school year so that there aren't any gaps. And we're closing that sense of summer being the hungriest time of the year. It's hard for children during the summer to, especially young children, to figure out where do I go? My parents are at work. You know, I'm too young to cook or too young to get to the grocery store, or I don't have the resources to get there. You know, where in my community can I get breakfast and lunch and a snack and, you know, not chips and soda, but something that's nutritious and healthy? So this has been a big part of our campaign's effort is to close that summer meal hunger gap. And that has been something that has been really exacerbated over the past couple of years because unfortunately it was like two and a half years of summer for kids. They weren't in school and we had to reinvent how meals got to children So using what we had been doing over the summer prior to the pandemic became, like I said, the longest summer. We issued an impact report called the longest summer because that's what it felt like to some degree for kids and made sure closing that summer meal gap was done. So hopefully summer will take on a different look and feel in the years to come, given what we've learned and, and some of the processes we've been able to put in place with schools and community-based organizations to make sure no matter where kids are, inner city, rural communities, suburban areas, everyone has easy access to meals during the summer. That's a big part of what we've been focused on.
0: Well, it's given me pause to really think a lot about, well, certainly food insecurity, but what you're saying about the summer period being so important for our children, because coincidentally or ironically, on the domestic season, the peak period of production is July, which is when kids are out of school, typically. And so this partnership uh, between our organization and No Kid Hungry uh, really strikes at a period of time where our industry couldn't be prouder of being a part of your work. And, you know, we spent a lot of years and certainly this year, probably our biggest year, working with all of you on making National Blueberry Month full of these kind of mouthwatering blueberry moments while also donating $50,000 to help feed kids in need with with our domestic growers in peak production. And I just think that was a really important connection for me personally to make with kind of how our season relates to what you're targeting in terms of food insecurity. And, you know, I understand from our work together and, and with your team that $50,000, the donation of our contribution helps to serve up to 500,000 meals for kids. So we're really proud of that partnership and what that can contribute and the 70,000 pounds that our growers were able to also contribute to the work you all do. And uh, maybe you could share a little bit about how a donation like this is then utilized.
1: Yeah. So first of all, we could not have been more excited to be a part of National Blueberry Month. It was so much fun. I hope everybody out there was following on social media. It was just such a great community engagement and interaction with so many folks that um, were participating and and enjoying blueberries. There are a ton of blueberry fans out there, y'all. Let me just tell you that. That was great to see. But participating in that 31-day social challenge It was important because it not only helped generate funds, which gets us closer to ending childhood hunger, but it was a campaign that also was important because it increased awareness of not only our work, but the power of partnerships, working with the Blueberry Council and helping folks understand that everyone has a strength to share, and you all were sharing your strength with us. The $50,000 commitment, oh gosh, will go such a long way to help us make sure kids all across the country have access to the three meals a day, 365 days a year. Like I was saying earlier, it's not so much about using $50,000 to go out and buy meals. It's what makes those meals possible. And that just helps us extend more grant dollars to schools and communities that need them. And during the summer, that is so vitally important. You know, during the school year, millions of kids get fed, but it's through programs like school breakfast and the summer meals that your type of contribution helps us to prepare and know going ahead, here's what we have to work with. We have so much more because of partnerships like yours so that we can grant more dollars out during the school year and prepare for summer for next year. So this is going to help us go a really long way. The grants, the advocacy work, we use those grant dollars and and your contributions to increase our training efforts for communities that are like, hey, we've never done this before. Can you help us figure this out? That's where we get to use contributions like yours, and then the research to make sure what we believe to be working, we know is working, and we know that this is a solvable problem. So it is a very generous contribution, and it goes a very long way in many, many different forms that I don't think people necessarily think about.
0: Again, it was, it was a great, I think, first effort on our part to work with you, and actually, I'll just say that it's the first time our council's ever worked with an organization like yours in this way. And so, it was fun, you know, on our end, like you're saying, just to see the reactions, the responses, the contributions come in, and the social media was great. Just seeing the engagement of everybody who was helping us to raise those funds. We were giving a dollar for every person who tagged us on social media on the way they used blueberries during that month of July. So. It was a very action-packed month, but we also got together, you and I, in New York City uh, where we had Ari Parker and a great venue there where we got together. And I thought it was a tremendous success and you did a great job talking about the program then and what we were working to do together. And so maybe you could share a little bit more about that event from your perspective.
1: Oh gosh, Casey, that event was so much fun. Let me just say this. For the folks who weren't there, if I could try to like, Create a vision for you of what this blueberry inspired wonderland looked like. It was the most perfect setting in New York. It was beautifully adorned with greenery and blueberries and activities for kids and great signage. And, you know, it was such a perfect setting. Having Nicole Ari Parker there and a lot of other media and great culinary chefs. And just, it was a room full of energy and so much fun. And it's where we kicked off, you know, the 31 day challenge. That partnership was something that we at Share Our Strength and No Kid Hungry really love to embrace. Because again, it goes back to our mantra of everyone has a strength to share. And you all Doing this partnership with us, you know, this was the first time, and we certainly hope that we'll be able to do more things together with you in the future. But being able to create this kind of partnership and bring blueberries, not just the dollars, but you mentioned the 70,000 pounds of blueberries that are going to local communities. Being able to introduce kids to fruits that they may not normally have is such a great way of starting a lifelong relationship with this great snack, this great fruit, this opportunity that kids in many communities just may not have had access to. If you don't mind, I'd like to tell just a quick little story about one of our community partners that's benefited from your donation. So First Pick Farms and West Olive, Michigan, they just last week were delivered an entire pallet of frozen blueberries to Montague Area Schools and I've talked, you know, how important schools are to us. Montague serves about 1500 students from kindergarten through 12th grade. This community, about half of the kids qualify for free or reduced priced meals. So this pallet of, of blueberries was just such a treat for these young children. But what's more special about it is they launched this new program in Montague this year with the goal of helping students create connections to the source of their food and the seasonality of Michigan products. So you just talked about July being harvest month. So this was not only just, you know, a way to help kids get nourished, but it was also a way to teach kids About the resources, the richness of what is grown right in their own community, right there in Michigan. So, they have created a chef's table, which is a program at the elementary school, and it introduces kids to new recipes, new foods. So, I don't have to tell you what was on the harvest of the month menu, but my friend, it was a good amount of blueberries, and the kids had such a great time. So, I wanted to let you know there are real impacts that are happening with the work that you all have done and the commitment that you all have made to No Kid Hungry. And we are so grateful. That was just one story, but I just thought it was so great. But there's many others, many, many others.
0: Well, and that is a great circle back. And I know our audience and certainly our growers will appreciate hearing that. And then, of course, you know, kind of looking forward from here, we're looking forward to continuing this working relationship this year. I know this isn't the only part of the year we're working with all of you. But yeah, Pamela, it was a fantastic month of raising awareness and certainly watching people enjoy blueberries on social media to try to help raise that awareness and raise those dollars and be a part of this cause. So Thank you. Uh, We really appreciated the opportunity to partner with you on that and look forward to, you know, the future opportunities that still lie ahead to help raise the awareness for, you know, your important cause. And and, uh, I know our growers are very supportive of what you all are doing, and it's just encouraging all the way around about this work together. So thank you.
1: Thank you, Casey. We have been thrilled with the partnership. Look forward to growing it in uh, years to come and doing some more really creative, fun things with blueberries. So thank you so very much.
0: We'll be right back to this conversation in a moment. But for now, here's USHBC NABC Vice President of Engagement and Education, Amanda Griffin.
7: Thanks, Casey. For this week's Blueberry Boost, I wanted to fill you in on the keynote sessions coming up at the Blueberry Summit next month in Nashville, Tennessee. We'll be taking over the Music City Wednesday, October 5th through Friday, October 7th. During our first keynote session on Thursday morning, you'll hear how USHBC and our partner agencies are using survey data to help the industry better understand how and why today's consumers purchase and consume blueberries. Grant Prentice, Senior Vice President and Director of Strategic Insights at Food Mines, will present highlights from the Ipsos Market Research Survey of 1,500 U.S. blueberry users and 500 non users. Prentice will share new data on purchase and consumption behaviors and perceptions, barriers to blueberry purchase and consumption, the value of blueberry health benefits in driving consumption, and the growing awareness and impact of Grab a Boost of Blue Marketing. Now, on Friday morning, you can learn more about USHBC's newest program with some of the industry's veterans. In the session, Using the Power of Data to Light the Way, you'll get a sneak peek into how, through data analysis, we are reducing uncertainty in the investment market and how we will use data to optimize sales and marketing efforts. This glimpse into USHBC's newest program is not to be missed. After all, you'll hear from these great minds, Joe Barcy, president of California Giant Berry Farms, John Marshall, vice president of ByteCode, and Joe Vargas, director of business intelligence at NABC USHBC. And last, but certainly not least, we will end our keynote sessions on Friday with an inspirational message about looking back to move forward. Stephanie Stuckey, CEO of Stuckey's Corporation and a Georgia pecan grower, will be the closing keynote speaker. Stuckey's grandfather built Stuckey's into an empire, a roadside oasis that redefined America. How did he do it? What lessons can we learn from W.S. Stuckey that can be applied today? Join us to hear how Looking Back can help your organization move forward. On top of these inspiring keynotes, we will also have lots of networking opportunities, of course, live music, and Blueberry Lane, an exhibit floor full of solutions designed specifically for your industry, the blueberry industry. So make sure to secure your seat today because you don't want to miss this signature blueberry experience. Visit us at BlueberryEvents.org for more details and to register now. This has been your weekly Blueberry Boost. Now, Casey, back to you.
0: Thanks, Amanda. Now back to today's episode. All right. As part of this episode, I just thought it would be a great opportunity to grab our Promotion Committee Chair, Jeff Malensky, to talk a little bit about the committee's commitment to this effort and partnership and collaboration with No Kid Hungry and and just get, like I said, during our conversation with Pamela was a first of its kind for USHBC. So Jeff, thank you for jumping on here. I appreciate your time and just thought we'd spend a little time discussing what I know the committee's discussed about the decision to partner with No Kid Hungry and uh, and guess your impression of that partnership.
8: Thanks, Casey. Yeah, appreciate uh, grabbing me for this. Um, yeah, I mean, for the promotions committee, it was pretty exciting. I mean, something for our industry brand new to us and just... Thinking, I and mean, we do a lot of stuff for the blueberry industry in specific. We work really hard. Um, you talk about in the podcast, Casey, and all of us in the committee and in our industry together, we support families. We support our own families. We support a lot of other families that help us produce the product that we produce. And so, you know, you don't ever lose sight of the family part. And And when this came up to me, it hit home. And I think with quite a few of the members of our committee as well. Because this is a little di- this is different. This is something unique that probably in our outside of the blueberry industry life, we do have commitments with charitable organizations that, um, you know, that mean a lot to us. And add that to the component of most of us, again, we come from families and a lot of us have our own families. And so, you know, they're my everything. And, and families, your kids are your everything. You do everything you can for them. And so I think that's why it hit a nerve, you know, with a lot of us is uh, this would be kind of cool. We can actually do something uh, that's outside of you know really our our lanes up to this point, but incorporate what is our DNA, which is blueberries, what we support, what we do, what we how we get through our, our days and support those families, which we know this healthy product. I mean, blueberries, how do we get it out there? And so uniquely combining both those together like, wow, this is pretty cool. And so we, you know, as a committee started talking about it. I think that's where the motions went in and ultimately said, yeah, let's, let's try this out. And so I think, you know, what's in front of us, we don't know, but to partner with a great organization like No Kids Hungry, and then combine just what I said, pretty cool. Yeah, it pretty was cool. a great
0: match. And I really appreciated, you know, the committee obviously you addressed that there's a lot of kind of due diligence around, you know, if we we're going to partner with anyone, do we partner with this one and but in the end what you had was a united committee, but you you know, it extended to the industry that responded. You had over 70,000 pounds of blueberries contributing to this in the month of July and and of course, you know, the council then raising funds for no kid hungry during that same period of time really just a successful kind of first effort on our part to look at partnering with organizations like No Kid Hungry. We're not done. You know, we're going to have a fall effort working with them again to continue the relationship here. But but the month of July was the biggest kind of celebration that we've ever co-hosted with the rest of the industry to celebrate National Blueberry Month. And, and this partnership seemed to wed right nicely into something we've been doing for a long time and making it the biggest one we've ever done.
8: Yeah. And just to me, how cool is it? Again, we got a great product, blueberries, super healthy. And there's kids out there. And just if you think about it, it kills you. Like There's kids that don't have food on their plates. We can get a healthy product to somebody that may not have any food available to them. That's amazing. And that's something I think as an industry, we should be very proud of. We want to hear what the results are and how we can Further this effort moving forward. This is just the first step. And so, yeah, what a what a great idea. And, and uh, I think that's why we all jumped on it.
0: Really proud of the industry's effort on this. It's amazing what we were able to accomplish in this first effort with No Kid Hungry during the month of July at the 31-day challenge. So so many good things. Now, if you want a complete overview of the results of our work this summer uh, with No Kid Hungry and as a council, Join us in Nashville. What a great opportunity to kind of get everything in one place and hear more about this program and the projects that we still have yet ahead by going to blueberryevents.org and registering for Nashville. Well, that's it for episode 111. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries.